So our sermon this morning uh, is Luke chapter 12, and we're talking about the folly of materialism. We are a materialistic culture, maybe the most materialistic culture on the planet. Now, we're not the only consumeristic culture, but I think they say that America is, don't quote me, but something like 4% of the world's population, but we consume you know, 27% of the resources or something like that. We are a materialistic culture, and we are a consumeristic culture. So we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. The word of God. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, I, I just don't, I don't know why that's there. I, know, I think in English it just doesn't work, but I'm sure in Greek it makes more sense. But Jesus kind of sounds like a hippie here. He's like, man, man, yeah. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And this is Jesus talking. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan, to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider also the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Father... Thank you now for your grace and power. I pray and ask, O oh God, that you would illuminate us this morning in your word and edify us by its truth. 
convict us and convince us, Lord, of our sin and of your word, and Lord, let us leave differently than the way we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the modern Western world is built on anxiety. You see it on the faces of people hurrying to work, and you see it even more as they're traveling home from work without having solved all of life's problems. That's a good description of a lot of us. We get up in the morning, we hurry, we run off to work. You know, there's a sense of anxiety and stress and tension we have, and when we come home, we're relieved to be off work, but we haven't accomplished a whole lot. We should be the happiest culture on earth, but we're probably the most anxious. We live in an anxious age, a lot of anxiety, and the the, the drugs that we take to help calm us down are proof of that. Our society thrives on people setting higher and higher goals for themselves and for each other so that they can worry all day and all year about whether they've met those goals and reached them. And if we do reach those goals, we just set new ones for ourselves. And if we don't, we feel like we failed. But the question for us that we should ask this morning, is this how we're really supposed to live? Were we we really meant to live this way with anxiety and stress and this kind of idea of what success looks like? Is that really what's supposed to guide us and motivate us? Well, you know, in the first century world of Jesus, most people had just enough to live on, and there was always the prospect that they wouldn't even have that. Uh, Most people only had one spare garment, but not more. I remember recently um, seeing something on the internet about a boot company that started to make boots like they made 100 years ago. Most people only had one pair of shoes, and the boots they wore to the factory, they wore to church on Sunday. And so on Saturdays, they'd polish them up. And in the first century world, most people just had one spare garment, if that. And it only took one disaster for the family breadwinner, being sick or injured, for example, to bring financial devastation and ruin. And it was to people like that, not to people like us who worry about being able to buy smart cars and take European vacations, nothing wrong with that, But it was to people like that that Jesus said, don't worry. Don't stress out. Don't worry about food and clothing and about what you'll wear and about what you'll eat. Now, we know anxiety can be a killer. It is. People have heart attacks from anxiety and stress. And it's medically proven that stress can cause disease. Some of us may be wrestling with different physical ailments because of anxiety and stress. And Jesus' advice is not just to worry and live a carefree life, but Jesus recognizes that financial anxiety makes us prone to greed and to hoarding. And this solution is, as we've been talking about recently, the solution to all of this, we've been talking about this for the past several weeks, is the kingdom of God, desiring the kingdom seeking after the kingdom, longing for the kingdom, the kingdom and its fullness and the riches of the kingdom 
is a remedy to the anxieties that we have about possessions. Now, I think Jesus would, he would have wanted us to be good financial stewards. Jesus would have wanted us to, to put money aside for a rainy day. That's wise. That's smart. He would have wanted us to, to, uh, to have money for retirement and in, or maybe an emergency fund and have enough to sufficiently provide for your family. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear me saying that those things are wrong. So what is Jesus taking aim at then if those things are not wrong? Well, he's, taking, he's, he's highlighting the idea that the pursuit of financial security only gives you so much. There's a couple things up on the screen there. It cannot stop anxiety and prolong your life, okay? So pursuing financial security, it can't prevent anxiety. I recently watched the movie with Jay, about J. Paul Getty, All the Money in the World, the true story of his grandson being kidnapped by Italian gangsters, and he would not part with his money to pay the ransom. He was not only the richest man in the world, but he was the richest man at that point who had ever lived. And his pursuit of financial security caused him to be greedy, caused him to hoard, and it really caused him to be cruel. So financial security can only give you so much, and what it often does is it engenders greed, and it causes hoarding. Now there's this picture we have in the scripture starting in verse 13, a man comes to Jesus, who's probably the younger brother, and in those days, the older brother got all the inheritance, and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, tell my brother to give me a portion of our father's inheritance. And Jesus says something that may seem odd on the surface for the Lord of glory. He says, um, who made me a judge between you? Who made me an arbitrator of your affairs? That seems kind of weird for Jesus to say, right? But the idea is, Jesus is getting at is, hey, look, I'm no probate lawyer. That's not why I came into the world. I didn't come into the world to solve financial disputes between people arguing about inheritance. But this is what Jesus does. He uses it as an opportunity to teach, and he interprets the younger brother's statement as greed. He says, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed or covetousness. Now, what kind of greed was there in the ancient world? Well, people typically tended to hoard three things. Gold, grain, and garments. You like that alliteration, three Gs? for your future preachers here. Gold, grain, and garments. Or for us, money, food, and clothing. Those were the types of things that people had anxiety over in those days. Now today, we could add another four or five things, but typically, people stress out about those things. And Jesus says this statement. He says, look, your life does not consist in the abundance of these things. Your life is not defined by how much you do or don't have of money, food, and clothing. That does not define your life. That is not the measure of success. 
That is not what qualifies as living a good life or having accomplished anything. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Again, our world today is not so different. We tend to obsess about the same things. Now, I'm fascinated by the show Doomsday Preppers. Have you ever seen that show? Doomsday Preppers? What? No one? We got two, okay? Well, you've heard of the idea of prepping, right? People who, are, people who are preppers. And it's on Netflix, and it's a show about people who, they all envision some catastrophic scenario, and so they have gathered and collected things that they believe are going to help them to get through some type of disaster. And you know something? On one level, I totally get it. I do. I totally get the, the idea and desire that you'd be ready, especially, you know, women have, women have those same impulses, but as a, as a father and as a husband, I, want, I have this sense of duty to protect my wife and children and not to be, you know, uh, begging or helpless if there was a disaster. And so this idea that you want to be able to protect your family and have enough food to last a few days if there was a crisis, totally get it. But if you watch the show, some of these people have gone, I mean, they've just, they've gone bonkers with some of the things they've done. I mean, you know, they've, they've got, you know, food that can last for years. That's a good thing. And then they've got, you know, one guy had 30 automobiles and he built them like something out of Mad Max and the Thunderdome. And, and you know, he, they're expecting the zombie apocalypse or, you know, a, a tidal wave, a result of an asteroid. And there's all these things that people are anxious over. Now, on one hand, it's just kind of a hobby, right? You got to admit, some of it's just cool, right? It's just something you want to do with your money. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, it reveals to us that we're an anxious culture, that there's fear always on our backs and on our shoulders, that we're things we're worried about. We're worried about not having enough. But the question is, how much is too much? Well, Jesus gives us this parable about the rich fool. He says a certain landowner who already, already had an abundance had a really good crop. And in those days, of course... Grain was a big deal, right? Being able to store up against the winter, against a bad season. And grain meant money because you could sell your extra grain to people and get gold. Uh, and you could get money. And he says the certain uh, rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He says to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my extra crops. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear my barns down. I'll build bigger barns. And then I'll say to my soul, soul. Take thine ease, right? Soul, be comforted, right? Your soul is to be comforted by the idea that you have a lot of food in your barns. And he says, I'll say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, his time was going to be up that very night that he said that. And the idea is, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And Jesus says in verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This fellow, he already had a lot. Instead of sharing it, he hoards it. Because that's how greed works, right? You never feel like you have enough. You always have an excuse not to give away things that you have. You always have a reason not to give your possessions away because you 
You feel like you're going to need them against a rainy day. There's always a reason to hold on to what you've got. Uh, on, the, on the show Doomsday Preppers, at the very end, they grade them. You know, experts in survival, they grade them on their food stock and their defense. And almost in every case, you want to know the criticism against the people who have prepped, who have sought, they have, they have thought so elaborately about protection and food supply and all these different things. And the one key critique that they're given by the experts who grade them is you didn't involve your neighbors. Because the idea is when all heck breaks loose, if your neighbors don't have access to food and any of those things, they're going to come banging down the door. And so if you really want to be protected, involve your neighbors. Act like someone who loves your neighbor and your community. That is, the, that is the one critique that they get all the time, over and over and over again. And here's this fellow, this rich fool, who hasn't for a minute even thought about his neighbors. He says, I've got extra grain. I'll build bigger barns and so that I can take my ease. And God says, you fool. You haven't shared it. You haven't thought about your neighbor. You're going to die, and everyone else is going to get all that stuff you got. That's what Jesus is saying. And the biggest problem with all of this is that this fellow has not considered God in any of his plans. And I fear that a lot of us are the same way. A lot of us think about our lives. We think about our future. We think about purchases we make. We think about things we want to do. Maybe we have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. And we often don't consider how God has anything to do with our lives and our plans, the things we purchase, the things we get rid of. We're not rich towards God. And Jesus is trying to make an overall point that true wealth is wealth with God. And that comes from the kingdom of God, which is where real treasure is, and that treasure is Jesus Christ. Anxiety over possessions, you know, um, it's fundamentally, here's the problem with anxiety over possessions. The problem with anxiety over possessions is it's fundamentally a desire to have illegitimate knowledge, knowledge about the future. We want to look down the road and we want to say, all will be well because I have enough of this, I have enough of that, and I have enough of that. We hate the idea of not knowing what the future is going to bring. We hate it. And you know something? I do too. We all hate the fact that we don't know what's around the next corner. We don't know what's coming. We want to be ready for what's coming. We want to look down and say, if I plan well enough, this will happen in my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what Jesus really wants from us, ultimately even more so than preparing for a rainy day or a disaster, is our trust. He wants us to trust him. God wants our trust. You know, faith is not figuring everything out about God. We're going to have Q&A Sunday on April 29th, and that'll answer questions. That'll be fun. But you know, living a life of faith, the Christian walk, is not even about figuring out all the mysteries of the Bible and all the things about God. Ultimately, it's about trust, giving God our trust in the things that we don't know about or the things that we can't ensure, right? We, can't, we don't know what the future holds for us, and it's this idea that we're going to entrust to God our heart and our, our longings and our safety and security. We can still do those other things. We can still plan. We can still prepare. All that's good. But this fellow, and Jesus doesn't, 
He, Jesus doesn't go after him because he had extra grain. That's not what's a sin. It's that in all of his planning, he thought that his soul, your soul would take ease because of possessions. This is the real critique here. The idea that your soul, the longings of your heart, would be comforted because of possessions, your car or your house or the amount of food you have in your fridge or the amount of clothes in your closet. And Jesus says, that's silly. That's ridiculous. The soul can only take its ease when it knows who's ensuring its safety. God is the Savior alone. Not possessions, not money, not grain, not food, not clothing. None of those things can ensure our salvation. Only Jesus can. And that comes from pursuing the kingdom. We long for certainty about the future, but over and over again, we're told not to worry. Matthew 6, 34 says, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't worry about tomorrow. Fine, plan, and do things that are, make wise decisions, but ultimately, there are enough problems in this day alone to occupy all of your prayers and thoughts and worries. If you worry too much about the future, it'll wreck you, it'll ruin you. Don't do it. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's plenty of evil in this day alone that's going to require your energy and your thoughts and your prayers. And more than that, God is saying, and I control tomorrow anyway. I control tomorrow. You know, only in America do we have these storage facilities all over the place. I haven't seen a whole lot of them here, but in California where we live, they pop every year, you know, someone will buy a parcel of land and this massive storage unit facility. I mean, they're just popped up over and over and over again. And we stress out about, you know, we buy things. I heard someone say, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like, you know? And we've got all these storage facilities holding stuff for us, you know? And when you die, someone goes into that storage facility, takes it all out, gives it away, and sells the rest, and that's exactly what... Jesus is talking about. You fool, and when you die, who will, be, who will own those things? Not you, because you can't take them with you. I'm not saying it's a sin to have a storage facility. Someone here is saying, well, I've got a storage facility. It's not the, that's, I'm, I'm getting at a bigger point here, okay? I have had storage facilities. I've rented them too. But the idea is the world is caught up in this rat race, working to buy and to spend and to accumulate stuff so that we can have material security which cannot comfort the soul. And when the soul is comforted, you know, everything else seems to fall into place. You can have everything in the world, and if the soul is not grounded and anchored in God, it won't mean a thing. I mean, why do billionaires commit suicide? How does that, how does that happen? They have everything. Because the soul has not found its refuge in Jesus. The soul has not found its refuge in God. The soul does not have an assurance of its eternal salvation. And that only comes through the kingdom, seeking the kingdom, desiring the kingdom, longing for the kingdom. 
You remember about 10 years ago or however long it was ago when the, when the, the recession hit, you know, people were calling it a depression and it was borderline. It was pretty bad, right? The stock market, you know, the, 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 a lot of tech stocks got wiped out and the stock market took a huge hit. And there were people who, you know, lost $150,000, $200,000 in their retirement accounts or more. Those things happen. And, and, and listen, this is why ultimately you have to trust in God for tomorrow because even all of your best planning can go awry, right? The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, right? You know, even your best planning can implode. Peace with God isn't the result of a full fridge or a full tank, with, full tank of gas, right? The peace that passes all understanding doesn't happen because you have a closet full of clothes. It comes when you see Jesus Christ as the true treasure, when you realize that the value of your life is found in pursuing the kingdom, not material possessions. And Jesus says, so, so don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Consider the ravens. They don't sow. In other words, they don't plant in the ground and they don't reap. They don't have a harvest. They have no storeroom and no barn. They don't store up food anywhere. Although the squirrels in my backyard do, they, they dig little holes and put the acorns in. But I, I'm under the impression that the next season they forget where they put it, you know. Um, but that's an impulse even for the animals, I guess, some animals. But the point Jesus makes is you're more valuable than the birds who don't do any of those things and God feeds. And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And the idea is so much of the worry that we're involved in is pointless. That's his point. So much of the anxiety that competes for our, the energy of our mind and our heart isn't worth it. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of days, you know, weighed down by anxiety. I worry about my future a whole lot. I, I, I do. I worry, and, I, and it's always on me. I, I feel like I never have a free moment. And even when I'm out with, you know, my wife and my kids on a, on a, on a day where we're just kind of, you know, walking around the mall and I should just be thinking about nothing, you know, I'm stressing, and those thoughts are fighting their way into my head. I mean, I'm sure you're the same. And in verse 27, he says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. They don't toil or spin. You know, the idea of someone spinning at the wheel, you know, making clothes. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which here is here today and tomorrow is burnt up by the sun, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, God plans on providing for you. God wants to provide for you. God wants to be the provider. God wants you to see him as the one who's providing all that you need. And it doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't buy things. But it means ultimately your hope and your trust is built on his loving care for you. He says, and don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink and don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows you need these things. But seek his kingdom 
And these things, this is the key, this is the key statement. If you, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this statement. But seek the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. In other words, God wants us to redirect our energies, to be freed up to do things for his kingdom and for his name. Because if all of our energies are wrapped up in securing material security, you know, and possessions, how are you going to have time to be a witness? How do we have time to grow a church? How do we have time to take a moment and invest in our neighbor and hoping and praying for them that God will make an opportunity for us to share the evangel, right? We want to be evangelistic, but you can't do that without the evangel, without the gospel. The idea, the whole idea of shifting your security from your possessions to God's loving care for us is that we'd be freed up to do more for him. I'm not accusing anyone in here of not doing anything for God. That's not the point. The idea is we often tend to do very little with just our spare time because we see ourselves as our lives having to be devoted to other things that we think are more important. Verse 34 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finally, a few points for us to consider. In contrast to anxiety, there's these benefits to seeking the kingdom. It frees us from worry by knowing that God is ultimately the one providing for us when we seek the kingdom. It frees us to be generous with our money and possessions because we know that God will replenish our money and possessions. It frees us to engage in kingdom-oriented pursuits because we don't have to spend all of our time locking down everything we think we need. And it ultimately grounds our hope in eternal life, not this one. You know, death, none of us know when it's coming. And, you know, this morning I had a shake with beets and kale. <laughs> Terrible. But I'm trying to live as long as I can and eat healthy, you know. But I don't know when it's coming. My ultimate hope cannot be in this life. It has to be in the next one. My ultimate comfort to my soul cannot be in the idea that I'm going to live to, you know, 84.6 years old. None of that. It has to be in the idea that whenever I die, be it now or in 50 years, God willing, that my ultimate hope is in eternal life because I've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior who has forgiven me for my sins and promises me that I'll reign with him in eternity. I mean, that's the hope of glory, is Jesus Christ, is life eternal with him. It's not even this life. And I'm not one of those people who want to poo-poo this life like this life is all bad and there's, there's nothing good in it. There's a lot of good things in this world. But ultimately, the comfort to your soul has to be ground in eternal salvation and in Jesus as our ultimate treasure and possession. Let's pray.